Welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Katie Lazarus. Welcome to Employee of the Month. There are interviews and then there are interviews and I can't articulate how nerve-wracking it is to interview an interviewer, especially one who has several Emmy Awards uh, for being one of the greatest interviewers that television has had and the one that I admire the most. Dick Cavett was a writer who was quite successful writing for Carson and Jack Parr before Carson and he was doing stand-up. He sort of decided that he wanted to go off on his own and one of his buddies, Woody Allen, uh, encouraged him to really make his mark and so he did. And the Dick Cavett show has moved around all the time, which is a recurring theme now for many young shows trying to get their start. Um, but he's managed to stick it out and thank the Lord, if that's who you pray to, or if it's just uh, Les Moonves or whoever's, <laughs> well, it must have been Les Moonves's predecessor and everyone else at the seven zillion different networks that he was at. I'm really grateful that, that his show was on. I wish um, more people had a chance to see it. And so that is why I am going to plug the Dick Cavett uh, DVDs because it's really intriguing to see Woody Allen happy. He's laughing. He's delighted to be there. You don't even see that kind of childlike joy, this un- uh, unadulterated, I never thought I would use that word with Woody Allen, um, pleasure that he's getting out of being on camera and the interactions with the audiences. The only times I see those kinds of genuine interactions where audiences just shout out questions are at live theater shows, improv shows, or on um, the Prime Minister's Question Hour in England. You just never see that kind of uh, unrehearsed interaction between the audience and the host and then between the guests and the host. It never feels like you know what the guest is going to say. And it certainly doesn't feel like the guest knows what he or she is going to say. So if you get a chance, please do check out those DVDs. You can check it out before, after, or during our interview if you really want to miss out on um, what was a delight. I can fawn over Dick Cavett for hours, but I think it's better to show and not tell. Um, so I'd rather you get to hear our interview and just know what a privilege it was for me um, to see how Woody Allen you know, helped push Dick Cavett to get his start. And I um, feel the same way about Dick Cavett helping me to get my start. So... I hope to uh, have a show just like his on television one day, uh, certainly on the radio, and I'm so grateful to all of you for making this podcast possible, and most especially to Mr. Cavett. Oh, and I gave him, in addition to the Employee of the Month Award, he received the very first ever MOT Award, which is a Member of the Tribe Award, um, and you will hear him referencing that, and that is because it was time. It was time for a man who was referred to as a Gentile by more than one guest, thank you Mel Brooks and Woody Allen, to get membership. It's got its privileges in Hollywood, so I felt like it was something I could give him. So it's like a bar mitzvah, um, but with fewer gifts and uh, less sweaty palms, like you don't have to dance with someone who you don't really want to dance with and also you probably weren't a good dancer so you shouldn't have been dancing with me anyways that goes to you Ari what is it I just wanted to pinch you to make sure this was real because if I pinched myself (laughs) I could delude myself no but I'd love to be hurt (laughs) (laughs) I just had to pinch you to make sure that I really am sitting with Dick Cavett I've had two dreams recently so unbelievably vivid that I could not convince myself they didn't happen when I woke up. Did they have biblical relations in them? Because those are the best. One involved Jane Fonda. Oh, this is getting good. And um, Jane and I were kind of leaning on each other somewhere. There was nothing erotic about it. I've known her for decades. But it looked like it might be. And then some more people came in, and I didn't know who they were, and she wouldn't tell me. And then she said, maybe you could go out and get some coffee and some apples. <laughs> I like that. I like that immediately it turns to, what can you do for me errand-wise? <laughs> uh, yeah. 
I mean, clear who, evidence you've been married. <laughs> that'd be a the incredible thing would be if you met someone else who said, "My God, I dreamed coffee and apples the same night you did." <laughs> well, I also, you know, love in your book uh, talk show about how you talk about coincidences and whether they exist or not, and it's it's yeah. a completely confusing thing for those of us who don't subscribe to psychics or Scientology or did I uh, put the best <laughs> we don't mention Scientology sorry either. we don't want to get sued um, I wanted to tell you that you have ruined my uh, love life as of late because I have not gone on any dates already already because I've been reading but talk I hardly show. Know you. <laughs> no because I've been reading your book I've barely and touched you <laughs> but emotionally it's I'm a little incident life. at the door when I thought you were someone else <laughs> <laughs> but because you're the the interviews are so mesmerizing from your show and then your book I I listened to it and read it which one did oh, you Oh did you hear the DV, the, the uh, audio. audio thing Yeah from Audible It which it's inaudible It's no it's unaudible Oh in. oh well I um it's, God, it was tedious reading that thing morning till night 2 days Maybe, or three. Yeah, but I have to say it's really fun listening to. But people say that because, uh, well, the thing they like, <laughs> one of the things they like, of course, is um, they say when you mention somebody, you do their voice. It's exactly. Catherine Hepburn or Alfred Hitchcock or Newman Capote. <laughs> I mean, I, I normally wouldn't encourage someone to listen to the audio in, in lieu of the book. You can g get both, um, yeah. which I have, but... But the audio is like really fun. I bet you, I, should I listen to it? Would I like it at all? Yeah, I think you should listen to it. What mm. do you mean, would you like it at all? Any human with a pulse would like it. Well, uh, I'm not normal, though. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I think the timing is what's sort of sweet. You know, you, you feel this familial sense to have you there reading it. I wonder if you could tell if you didn't know which is near the end of a recording day when the print starts to swim before your eyes. <laughs> yes. And you think, did I even read that last sentence? Nobody stopped me, so I must have. It's in a different order than the book. Is it in fact? Yeah, like not. It's not grouped in the same way. And then sometimes you add words that you don't have in the book. Yeah. So yeah, people, if people are really either obsessed with you or procrastinating from doing their taxes, they should read read the book and listen to the audio. Gosh. Either or. Do you hear that, folks? <laughs> either a huge fan or absolutely trying to. <laughs> I can get you them at a reduced rate. Is that right? I'll no, I can't. In fact, <laughs> can't, you not can't that I right. know of, anyway. But the book sold well. Do you, are you aware of this, Katie? May I call you? Yes. That because um, as it's opposed to her appropriate. Highness. Yes, yeah. Yes. Um, in fact, there was an article about it recently, but my wife discovered it quite a while ago. When some, when she's written about eight best-selling business books, and um, Martha Rogers for those yeah, playing at home. Yeah. Yes. And somebody called and said, uh, we were approached, they'd written a book, uh, with somebody who will make our book a bestseller on the Times bestseller list for $250,000. Do you know about this? No. You've given no, them 250000 No, we have never been approached on this. Well, you've given I'm them $250,000, they pocket 50000 and they buy your book at all the Times reporting stores. Th this must be what you no. know, Sarah Palin and all of the, the sort of uh, Tea Party Perhaps. Things. There was just an article about it, and all I did was bookmark it and haven't read it yet. So the story is out. I wanted to do a column about it. But uh, it, they, in the story, they list 15 of the best-known books of the past year that this was done for. And, and, and well, are the books even any good or that, that actually get um, this? I, I don't know if there are any clunkers on there or a reissue of Khalil Gibran, <laughs> but um, my good. friend of mine referred to as that poisonous sweetmeat, the prophet. <laughs> uh, I thought if one more girl gave me a copy of the prophet when I was in that's been, man, that's so would. interesting because so then following the prophet comes um, Pablo Neruda. So this is sort of the you know which so one Pablo Neruda. I didn't get that yet because well I'll, I'll give it to you. That that okay. would be the next sort of you know sophomoric uh, uh, yeah. gesture of romance. Um, is well, to give another the one would be um, oh who was the alleged Indian prophet down in Mexico. Mehmet Oz? Dr. Oz? No. Oh, God, no. What is his name? Um, 
Let's let Dr. Freud's technique work where if we try not to press yes. on it, it will sneak around it will, the front. It, it will be the only thing. I wanted, yeah. um, I was so delighted by Matt. A yucky way of knowledge. A very, a very Eastern. Yeah, very, no one knows if the guy really existed or not. But. Wait, so wait, what were you saying about him? Uh, he, he was also given to someone who had run out of copies of Khalil Gibran. <laughs> I wanted to start with magic because I was so oh, okay. excited by your your um, doing it and also being such an entrepreneur as a young kid that you had. Bi- Why did you have business cards? I don't. I ain't got no business cards. You wrote that you had business cards that you were already handing them out. You were getting paid thirty five dollars a week. Oh, oh, you mean back then? Yes. Oh yes. yeah, I did. I had a Dick Cavett magical entertainer, an intelligent young magician older than I. I lived there was my teacher. And he said, don't put magician, put magical entertainer. It looks more classy. And when you're 14, <laughs> yes, it seems gonna... a little pretentious to be. <laughs> but it was also so touching that you helped you know, support your parents and help them get an Oldsmobile. and Help them buy their car. I had no sense of money, so I didn't realize. No, that, that is having a sense of what money is supposed to be well, doing. Yeah. Well, yeah. When and you and school then in those teach days, your parents, I think it's a nice thing to do. Well, I wasn't in the Depression exactly, but uh, it was at a time when if you found a 50-cent piece at the bus stop somebody dropped, you could buy sodas and sundaes for two weeks. That sounds unbelievable. I loved how you spent it all on um, fireworks. Oh, God, yes. And I finally found the catalog last week in a box, an unopened box of stuff that had been molding in Nebraska from the Spencer Fireworks Company in Ohio. You still have them here? Not the fireworks, but the <laughs> the catalog. And this catalog, the box was, looked like the size of an upright piano, practically, that arrived. Because it was so huge. Yeah, and I thought... You know, we shot fireworks for weeks. And um, I looked up my assortment in the catalog, and it cost $14. That's unbelievable. You can't get an aerial bomb firework for $14. (laughs) These days, I just can't get (laughs) guns. Everything goes up. They're so expensive now at Walmart. It's just ridiculous. Ridiculous is right. (laughs) But they make, you still get fireworks. There's still firework stands in Ohio, and how I missed them in Nebraska every year when the fireworks stands open. And people, uh, my grandfather blew a finger off showing my dad and his brother how not to hold a firecracker. Is that right? (laughs) And it never dawned on you after that, maybe I shouldn't do this? No, I just, I was (laughs) very willing to risk it because the fun was fun and you pretend you were throwing them into a German foxhole and all the things that were... I wonder if it helped also with punchlines, because you know how you were saying that the great Carsoni, that Johnny Carson also yes. did magic too. So I feel like it does help with punchlines, because you know to have this element of surprise. Yes. I, well, uh, by the way. Yes. I wonder if Carson ever uh, anywhere talked about what he made as a magician. You made thirty-five dollars a week. Yeah, that wasn't always. That was rare, and. Um, it might even have been 30. And if it was 30, and I wrote about it in my fireworks piece, um, Teller wrote me of Penn and Yes, Tom, of course, course, yes. Not, 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 not a bank Dr. Teller. Dr. Teller, the uh, atomic scientist or whatever. Um, <laughs> which, would, the, which would make me like him even more. <laughs> yeah, it would. But he wrote, are you kidding? It took me 10 years to make $30. Well, I was going to say, I mean, when you dish out all these numbers, I thought, huh, Huffington Post never paid me that much. (laughs) And probably never will. (laughs) And probably never will. Unless they save up. Ariana Huffington, the definition of limousine liberal. Who gets credit for that phrase? Someone like Tom Wolfe, probably. I think so. I think it is Tom Wolfe because... Is it? It might well be. I believe so because, you know, it became popular when Clinton was either in office or running for office. Yeah. So I imagine that that if it's not Wolf, we'll credit him with it because he deserves it. He sounds, yeah. He it sounds like it. him. Anyone who can wear a white vest and Doesn't not get stains on it. Doesn't he ever chocolate syrup on it and have to go home? <laughs> I always imagine him at the gym. Yeah. Know, still. Somewhere. <laughs> always dressed up, always festooned. I um, think he could always, it would be funner for him to go, Tom, 
<laughs> pretend that he has some stain on it. Um, and then I also love. Oh, hearing... I got to tell you one of the yes. funniest things I think I ever did. Oh, please! And I might not be the first one. I've never told it to anyone. I'm sure it's the uh, only thing. Yes. Do that thing you do when uh, we're sitting across from each other, or something, and I have uh, something st food stuck to my face here, and say what you would normally say. A dick. Oh, okay. You see, I'm the one with the food. <laughs> and when you say, go like this, and I reach over and go like that to so, them, I'm making it clear for the audience. No, I well. liked that. It didn't feel like you were stepping on the joke. I liked it. It didn't? Oh, good. <laughs> no. I thought it was very funny. Please always let me know when it does. I'm going to try it, and if it doesn't work, I'll be like, Dick Havoc, yeah, you just let it. Maybe you can even engineer it a little. Give them some ketchup or something. To, on their and face. And when they say, go like this. But it, it, it is certainly a, a friendship killer. A deal breaker when someone doesn't tell you if you have food in your mouth or something like that. Yeah, there should be. There's an ethical question there, and and you, people they say, well, I didn't want to embarrass you. No. Oh, so you let me go <laughs> right. speak to the Quaker <laughs> at the funeral with, with, a with it on gob me. of raspberry jam on my cheek. <laughs> I was also so touched by Slaydini, um, and hearing you know. Mm. How much he loved you and how much you loved him and, and showing all the videos of him to the old age home that they were watching these Dick Cavett specials. Good evening. This is a return engagement of uh, an artist who appeared on my show earlier this season and uh, one of the most successful shows I've had. And his, he is the legendary Slidini, the magician. He is a gentleman who is mostly retired from magic. He's been a legend to me all my life. He teaches master classes to advanced magicians and uh, makes a rare appearance. Uh, people wrote and said, we've never seen anything like him. Well, they were right, because there is not anything like him, even in the world of magic. He came to magic at 15, but was born in Italy, moved to South America, never read a book on magic because he invented it himself. He reinvented his own moves, his own slights, his own misdirection. Um, notice the incredible grace of his hands. I, I, I like to have him back as often as possible to preserve uh, his work on tape, to bring his magic to the wider audience than just the connoisseurs who already revere him. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Slidini. He, uh, I, I, I was made, I got a plaque about that size. You're pointing the, to your employee of the, the month Magic award. Castle in California. In, I had no idea what that is. It's in Los Angeles. Oh yeah. And it really was a Magic Castle, or it is still? It, it, it is, it's booming. Um, I thought that was a It's made in a huge drugs. house and some God, I think it was founded maybe way back when I was in high school. I used to think someday I'd dream to get over to the Magic Castle. And it's a huge, actually wonderful restaurant is in there and rooms full of, there's a seance room where real great seances are done. Cary Grant loved it and became a member of the board and used to go there all the time. Johnny and I went there. Johnny took me there one night to see the great master Di Vernon. Oh, wow. And Vernon, um, who only died a few years ago, he said, uh, Ah, Houdini was a real shit. <laughs> I went back into Harry's dressing room one night, and his dresser put a shirt down, and Harry slapped him across the face and said, Don't ever lay my shirt down that way. Don't, you know, terrible prick. I, Houdini, I, not Di yes, Vernon. Yes, yes, indeed. Did you, ha did you, well, I guess you were too young. To have known Houdini. Yeah, you know, I thought the other day. How Do you like knowing that you're too I young? Come? Yeah, I love being too young. <laughs> this is how? before your time, Dick. No, I think Houdini must have he was died in the time. 30s. Yeah, he, I don't, he didn't make it to World War II, or he'd have been escaping from German handcuffs. He slept five hours, which we're told is not enough. No, how many do you sleep a night? Oh, I like to get eight, and and seeing publicity that. You should is reassuring. Well, because I remember as a kid, I read Houdini saved five hours to, to, to save yes. years of his life. That he extra years of his life when they all added up. I I often think about that though. Like when you were doing a show, you know, you're taping five episodes, ninety minutes, four days a week. How much sleep did you get then? I think I got enough. Uh, I'd go in a f few hours to the office and then over around the corner to do the show. I don't think I lost much sleep. There was a time when I slept too much and f thought, "I'm. this is making me dull. Yes. 
It's, it can be a form of self-medication. You got to get a f the perfect number of. I guess there are freak people who can do. Bill Clinton. As some claim, three and four yeah. hours. Yeah, Clinton. Clinton does. Yeah. Whereas W. E. B. Du Bois or Du Bois, I'm not quite sure, but he slept eight uh, eight hours a night. That's what he said, and he published every two weeks. He he slept what? Eight hours a night. Oh well, yeah. That makes me feel. I like to know about the people who are inadequate, like myself, and and need the sleep. I don't know. I, I, would, I would love to be part of certain sleep experiments that I've read about. <laughs> but they found out that um, in a, a book called Dreamland, which sounds like a novel or something. Yeah, but it's about people's dreams? About sleep, the brain, and dreams. Interesting stuff with howling grammatical errors. The author doesn't know the difference between lay and lie, which always sends me up the wall. She laid down in the bed and, you know... Lie it on the table there. But anyway, uh, I hope he's listening because uh, he should correct that because he's very good in other areas. <laughs> Can I ask just because you... you? Oh! Yes. <laughs> and I learned that in my friend Chris Porterfield's hometown of Edina, Minnesota, they found the students were doing poorly for their amount of brains. Yes. Moved Number school of back... Well, they moved starting time from 620... Twenty in the morning to eight something, eight twenty. And the worst part. Grades is went up, SAT oh. scores went up, traffic accidents with student drivers oh, driving yeah. to school, uh, drive, and and it spread from other communities all because of that. Wait a minute. One hour of sleep they gained. Okay, so they gained one hour of sleep, and then their grades went up. Did the and, traffic and the accidents go up or down? Down because yeah. of driving sleepy to school and. Wasn't Even before texting. Well, let me see. When did texting first come in? Okay, that was uh, just a couple to, of years ago. In order to kill pedestrians. Well, but, you know, before you had Paris Hilton, before yeah, before that one. Were your parents teachers at the same school? Yeah. Yeah, my dad was at the high school. I, when I was so embarrassed me that I couldn't walk to that. I tried to avoid that end of the hall between classes. Really? Because your parents are teachers, it's uncool? I guess but just being, being in the same school? school somehow, and you're, you know how yes. awkward and horny and everything you were in those <laughs> days in high school, and um, and my dad in the school line, you know, I mean, and I thought everybody knew it, and nobody did. Oh, the, they, it didn't occur to them that there couldn't be two people named Gavin. Sounds like some really um, bright peers you got going on there in Nebraska. Well, it amused him as he, whenever I walked by, he would try to catch my eye and laugh. And he was such a great teacher that I run into it now from former jocks who said he made me love Shakespeare and nobody else ever made me read anything. And I just miss your dad. So. Is that unreal? I mean, because it really is. Yeah. You're lucky if you get one or, or two good teachers in your life. I mean, you really are. Some have had none. I think most people. You've had. Yeah, they'll say, gee, I, well, I kind of like Mr. Hagen. But, uh, were, you, were you close with your father? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And were you close with your mom before she passed away also? It's hard to say. It's all kind of vague about how much I knew her. Yeah. Um, when you were doing your show, well, actually, can we go back to... to um, go anywhere. Back, is it really? I rarely make this offer. <laughs> you may take it back. I wanted to know what a... But I'm so excited <laughs> of having become Jewish that I'll allow you. <laughs> You're an honorary member of the tribe. Now, most yeah. people, they only get the Employee of the Month award, but, but you yeah. also got an honorary member of the tribe award. Well, I love this. My German grandmother was rather touchy on the subject of one grand great-grandparents origins and she was from germany no then you may you may indeed either the person's gay or jewish or both so that would make it, right <laughs> and that would make me let's see it might make me as jewish as madeline albright brace yourself fred astaire is he really who would be the least likely person to A, be Jewish, and B, come from Nebraska? Is, is Fred Astaire Fred really? Fred Astaire is from Omaha, and he had a Jewish grandfather. And so the joke is on all the uh, restricted country clubs that he belonged to with his friend, the Duke of Windsor, who, unlike Astaire, was a piece of shit. Is that right? Yeah, a dreadful person. 
I, I, mean, I, I didn't hang out with him. I love that stand-up from Woody Allen where he talks at the gated country club. You know, oh, where, where, the, the, where they dress up as the, the moose. Oh, the moose story. <laughs> God, yeah. I shot a moose once. I was hunting upstate New York, and I shot a moose. And I strap him onto the fender of my car, and I'm driving home along the West Side Highway. But what I didn't realize was that the bullet did not penetrate the moose. It just creased his scalp, knocking him unconscious. And I'm driving through the Holland Tunnel, and the moose woke up. So I'm driving with a live moose on my fender, and the moose is signaling for a turn, you know? And there's a law in New York State against driving with a conscious moose on your fender Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. And I'm very panicky, and then it hits me. Some friends of mine are having a costume party. I'll go. I'll take the moose. I'll ditch him at the party. It wouldn't be my responsibility. So I drive up to the party, and I knock on the door. The moose is next to me. My host comes to the door. I say, hello. You know the Solomons. <laughs> we enter. The moose mingles. Did very well. Scored. Some guy was trying to sell him insurance for an hour and a half. 12 o'clock comes. They give out prizes for the best costume of the night. First prize goes to the Berkowitzes, a married couple dressed as a moose. The moose comes in second. The moose is furious. He and the Berkowitzes lock antlers in the living room. They knock each other unconscious. Now I figure here's my chance. I grab the moose, strap him to my fender, and shoot back to the woods. But I got the Berkowitzes. I'm driving along with two Jewish people on my fender. There's a law in New York State. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and especially Saturday. The following morning, the Berkowitzes wake up in the woods in a moose suit. Mr. Berkowitz is shot, stuffed, and mounted at the New York Athletic Club. And the joke is on them, because it's restricted. A comedy writer friend of mine, well, he went on to become Gary Marshall, but oh. uh, who went to a cheap little club when Woody was coming up. And a cheap comic comes out and does Woody's moose piece. And Gary went back and said, um, you know, that's Woody's. He said, yeah, I do it too. Well, after 10 Emmy nominations and three Emmy wins, how does it feel to finally win Employee of the Month Award? Was I Emmy nominated all those times? Yes, you were, sir. Well, I'm going to start telling people that. <laughs> and you co-hosted with Bill Cosby. Audiences would be so lucky to have you and Bill Cosby as hosts today. Yeah, you know, I wonder if I... Uh, they probably have that somewhere. No, no, we don't get that anymore. I mean, we had Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. No, no, I mean, maybe that exists that evening of where I did it here and Cosby did... I would love to find that, and I would love to find Rodale. Um, oh, that's easy enough. Do you have that in the that's house? That's around, yeah. Lisa has uh, that. Do you think we can watch um, that? Marshall Berkman and I watched it about six or eight months ago. It's pretty strange because the first hour is a perfectly fine show. He's funny. I go to the next guest at 12.30, allegedly, though we taped early. And Rodale's rips off a snore and dies. 12.30 in the afternoon or evening? No, I mean the, the 12.30 break on the air. Okay. Uh, which we taped it. I don't remember exactly whether I taped it seven. I know it's not important now to ask, did someone die in the morning or the evening? But I'm just curious. Yeah, no, they, they die in the evening, I think, is generally the rule. Okay, so at least he had uh, breakfast. I don't think any, that doesn't happen to any talk show host out in the world that I know of. I don't know of anyone who, who has had someone, world. I don't know anyone who's, who's had someone die on their show, and I don't know anyone who's had a health expert professing that they are. It's got to be a health expert, <laughs> yeah. <'cause laughs> You're going to uh, Somebody up there has a sense of satire. In the same way that Bush gave, George Bush gave to so many comedians, I, I feel having a health expert pass away after saying that he can live to 100. 
well, on a comedy show is sort of a gift. How can it be, how could it be better than that? <laughs> it's a horrible uh, irony. I'm sure he was a lovely human being, but it is nonetheless very, much, very yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. I've often, for a long time, I thought maybe I'll ask the Rodale family if I could show this because I have the live death on tape and the cameraman like this with the, well, he's on the floor. Um, this sounds like a new reality show for Bravo. It, it would be, yeah. <laughs> you know, but then have two doctors sitting there as you come back and say, uh, how, how many know what to do? And the person next to you goes and drops. I mean, do, do we know what to do? Could we have saved him? Could the right... But a couple of interns had come up from the audience and to, to help out. chest and whatever. That was another part of your book that I really loved, that you, you talk about diffusion of responsibility and could I have done something, you know, with Bobby Fischer and um, there was this yeah. kid, Bach, who loved you, you know, this sort of fan who was, want, was interested in fame. And oh, yeah, yeah. You, you had a real yeah. sense of, like, should I have stepped in? Could I have done something? And it, it spoke to me as I, my godfather was a quiz show winner when he was young he won like the $25,000 pyramid you know all those quiz shows yeah and he he ended up ki killing himself uh very young and you know all those the questions godfather? come up yeah I wasn't on the pyramid with him was I, I don't I think it was because of you no 20 of them no but he did all you know I mean you know the film quiz quiz show I mean he he well, you yeah. know what's good to see actually I'll show you a tape of is um Mike Wallace interviewing him and and so cruel. Interviewing your godfather. Yeah, interviewing him and so cruel to him. You know, are you a freak? Do, what, what, do other kids what, hate what you? What was his name? And Lenny Ross. Lenny Ross. Yeah. The Lenny Ross. Yeah, the Lenny Ross. So Unless there's another. I mean, there may be another one who lives in Brooklyn or something. Who's a, a librarian. <laughs> or Nebraska. <laughs> or Nebraska. Gosh, that's interesting to me. Uh, but I was so turned off by Wallace. You know, grilling him and competing with him. Yeah, he was really a schmuck in those days. I mean, and then uh, you know, my only understanding is to see this interview with Mike Wallace and then to read the obit from Maureen Dowd, which is so empathetic and talking about this bedeviled genius, is what mm -hmm. you called him. I saw a, a Mike Wallace the other night, and for what reason and with whom? The son, you mean? No, Mike, an old black and white. Oh, on television. Mike Wallace, what was the name of his, the one where he inhaled a great amount of smoke yes, just as he, they came on. He, he puffs the smoke Philip into Morris. He, for Philip Morris, the, 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 uh, the man's cigarette. You can hardly cut your way through the room with it. The man's cigarette. He would, he would smoke it into Lenny's face. <laughs> the man. Yeah. You have to watch those commercials. Uh, who is he with? And they requited themselves. Oh, Bennett Surf. Who is that? Does that mean anything to you? No, but I'm I'm of surf you status. You didn't watch What's My Line every that time it was on <laughs> on Sunday night. No, but I know what's my I what I knew is the radio show. There's a British radio show, What's My Line. Oh really? Well, they must very... have taken it from Yeah. This was a show um, actually it's mentioned in the book because it's the show Stan Laurel called The Snob Family and you didn't watch it. There's <laughs> a panel of four people, Arlene Francis, Dorothy Kilgallen, and a wretched woman and um, Bennett Surf, and when the great Fred Allen died in oh, the yeah. fourth chair, they had other hosts, from, uh, other guys fill it, never any, they never replaced Fred Allen. Anyway, Bennett Surf was the head of Random House. Oh, wow. And uh, he never loved published me. publicity and loved being on, and everything like Bennett Surf. He was a nice man, he put up joke books. But he lived to have his bouquet wilt when the great Jessica Mitford exposed the famous writer's school for what it was. Which was? Get a book called Poisoned Penmanship. Okay. Jessica Mitford of the Mitford family. In yes. Britain. Her sister loved Hitler and... Uh, oh, nice. If you're going to have a hero. Her, the great <laughs> Jessica Mitford, I mean the great uh, Nancy Mitford, of, you know, Voltaire in Love and a lot of wonderful books. Witty, funny, wonderful woman. But Jessica took this famous writer's school whose ads had Bennett Surf, Rod Serling of, um, help me, Rod Serling of, uh, oh, oh. I can't help you not because I'm old. Because Twilight I'm old. Zone. Oh, wow, wow, wow. And some other famous writer, like W, no, not Auden. Anyway, Jessica Mitford proved what a piece of shit it was. She and a friend wittily wrote a submission which was hilariously dull and stupid. 
two girls walking along the street and a black car pulled up and who should step out but Mr. Herbert Hoover, the president, yes, of the United States. And uh, like, like a backward eighth graders paper. Yes. And the famous writer's school thought it showed great promise and you know, told them what to pay and so on. And it was a racket. Chris Hitchens writes about it in his book called um, Awakening, not Awakenings. Um, what's the word for yeah, when uh, an argument could go arguable? That's Arguably. Arguable. Yeah, and arguable, I believe, is Hitchens' wonderful book of essays. You must get it. I'm yeah, definitely going because he was so funny. Died this year. Yeah. Um, speaking speaking of wonderful interviews. Seeing Woody Allen with you, he, he was having so much fun. I've, I've never seen him have so much fun. Isn't that a, yeah. People said, I liked him so much on that show. Well, one who has so much trouble with mechanical things, you, you do know how to put a clarinet together, I noticed. Have you noticed how I've brought everything together here? Yes. Because that's a bond. You're probably going to ask me to play something. Now. Well, I might. I... And because I anticipated that, I brought my clarinet, and we've locked the doors from the outside. Uh, so where is it? It's uh, not here. Oh, oh, here. here it is. You see, I can play it. I can't find it. That's the problem. I have it. And if you'll continue chatting with me, I'm going to assemble my clarinet and favor you with an air. Oh, that'd be swell. <laughs> so don't, don't get too hysterical because um, I'm not that good. I have a feeling for jazz because, uh, uh, because it's a black contribution to our culture. And as you know, I am mulatto. <laughs> I did not know that. You know, I've known you for... Yes? What have I known you for? Seven years and yes. didn't know that? My mother is black and my father is white and vice versa. <laughs> I like a man who's willing to... Do you grease your corks? No, just my hair. No, no, I mean the corks on the parts of the clarinet that... Oh, yeah, I, should, I put all sorts of chiz all over them so I can... Bear grease, together. I think, they, is yes. the best thing for them. Yes. No, uh... Yeah, good. I got a great sound. Um, can you give me a mood light or something, you know, the, <laughs> as though I was actually a musician? And try not to laugh when I play this, because uh, I take it very seriously. The blue spotlight would be nice. <laughs> it's only the first line. push-ups do you want to do push-ups and the push-up thing was inspired where he just stayed down because Ellen is actually quite athletic and, and um, I think somebody's written this that he he, he plays um, an ectomorph but is in fact a mesomorph <laughs> and uh, was a very very good athlete in high school he tried to say that to Terry Gross and I felt like she wasn't listening in some ways I mean I think I think now it's almost hard for interviewers with him because he feel he seems very defensive, and he may seem very defensive because interviewers try to pigeonhole him. Yeah. You know where it just becomes this sort of. He doesn't love the process of being interviewed. Well, who who would? Do you enjoy and, it? And so damn few people are really good at it. I do if it's uh, if if you don't have to take the stub pencil and write he quipped <laughs> next um, to the person. You guys were also sweating a lot. Was it the, the, the uh, like when he's playing the clarinet? I mean, it's amazing. Is he sweating when he play? You must yes. have watched in high definition. <laughs> uh, glowing. I apologize. He was glowing. Yes, Miss Hayworth glows. <laughs> Orson Welles is famous for that. I love that. Uh, Miss Hayworth Hearth doesn't sweat. She glows. <laughs> but I, I, I don't think I've ever seen, I mean, he's, why I'm Jewish. I mean, I know I'm technically Jewish because of, of, of you know, birth and bi biology and, and genetics, yeah. but, but anything I understand about Judaism came... Did you say an intonation? <laughs> I don't know. I thought you... Well, the great Jonathan Miller on the show. No, actually, it was in Beyond the Fringe, but uh, Miller's certainly the most articulate guest anybody ever had. 
Have you seen the two Miller shows that are in my blogs about him of a couple years ago? No, I need to get these. Oh, go there, because they're yes. embedded for half-hour shows. Okay, great. Okay, good. In The Great Beyond the Fringe, there was a bit where Dudley Moore and Ellen Bennett are over the side spotlight in the dark stage, and Cook and Moore are up here, and they say, you know, they went to Cambridge and they're upper class people and we're working class. And by the way, you know, Jonathan Miller is a Jew. And there's a kind of a hmm, hmm in the audience. And they all leave the stage except Jonathan who does a few things and then says, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not really um, um, a Jew, just Jew-ish. <laughs> uh, you know, not the whole hog. And then, <laughs> and that's been stolen a lot. <laughs> but it reinforces everything I think of my, of my British Jewish cousins who have no idea they're Jewish. Yeah, well my, oh, Jerry Lewis asked us all to say Jewish rather than a Jew. Yes. Because it's too. Uh, I said, well, do we have to say a Turkish person? If <laughs> Probably now you I do. I quickly shut up. <laughs> well, so you so you wrote for Jerry Lewis and and. Um, Groucho, Merv Griffin, not not Patty Griffin, right? Griff, Merv Griffin. Griffin for a long time, yeah. Just out of curiosity, I was I was so intrigued that Woody was the reason you sort of you decided to have your own show to go from being this fabulous writer where you'd written for Carson and and stuff. <laughs> I, uh, it happened the way it happened, and stop me anytime you want me to say. Uh, I love you. you. Wanna, no, okay. You want to say I know that story. <laughs> okay. I did a pilot for ABC called The Star and the Story years ago. I, I had never done anything except appeared on a few talk shows, mostly Griffin. And uh, they hired me to do a pilot called The Star and the Story. I don't know the story. And we got John, uh, Van Johnson, oh, wow. about whom Woody said, I could not believe Cabot that I was directing Van Johnson. Because <laughs> we'd all seen... We'd both seen 30 Seconds Over Tokyo 10 times as kids, you know, hundreds of Van Johnson. Anyway, um, so Van came in every day for five days, and we did a half hour each, and Woody Fraser produced it, and he became my first producer. ABC loathed the show. Why? The, I don't know. They never told me. Uh, but uh, but they liked the young man who hosted it and thought he had possibility. And oh, was, wow. Mr. Cavett. In Japan, we don't do this, we do this. Did you know that? You touch your nose? Me. Yeah, not you, me. Is that really what they do? They touch their nose instead yeah, of, yeah, I suppose, their heart? Yeah, you point to your nose. I don't know why that would happen in one country and not another. It's also interesting because I, I, I'm told that if you sneeze in Japan, it's quite rude. If you sneeze in public, it's as if yeah, you've they done something else. Yeah, they stifle blow their eardrums out. Instead. And, of course, every if you have 300 high school girls in your audience and you tell a joke, 300 hands cover the mouth. Is that right? Yeah. It's probably not only considered polite, but up until relatively few years ago, dentistry had not made great inroads in Japan and a very pretty, pretty face would then would have to cover what was revealed when she smiled. But that's really funny. So you might think that she's going to be beautiful, but I wonder if that happens in certain cultures. Do you have they? new teeth? No. Do you? Yes, <laughs> that's why they're so white. Mine are, yeah, they look great. I was going to say that, that uh, I look your bleached. chompers I look pretty I good. I think I should put tea on them or something. Do you think we can do, um, I really want to do teeth commercials. Well, you should. You're, I have you're no cavities. It's my only answer. asset. God damn you. Oh, I didn't mean that. <laughs> uh, more friends of mine are suddenly having their teeth go. Somebody said, well, you know why, don't you? They're all drinking a bottle of water now instead of fluoride. Yes, it doesn't have fluoride in the water. Right. Well, there's a certain point where you, if you, you know, de-germ yourself, I don't know what the proper word is, but if, you, if you're so anti-existing uh, in the real world, you become, a, your body can't handle. Uh, is that it? I think so. Is that why they say don't wash your hands too much because you get in that sort of immunity or? Well, maybe that's just a soap that company. connected it, in who, any way to that? It, it may be someone who was fired from a soap company then goes out and, and says, don't wash your hands too much. Oh, so yeah. That, yeah. You know, they're still bitter at, at Johnson & Certainly not with Johnson ivory or liquid or whatever. <laughs> right. But, uh, God, the teeth thing. I'm in a siege of, tooth, of dental work these so few painful. weeks. And it just, God. So for 30 
more and more years. I never got no became at the dentist ever. Yeah, now you do. That's not that's that's smart. You know what you should ask for. That I was a real man was one reason. <laughs> and then I read that Catherine Hepburn never did. In she an never old, got old old TV guide. I read that, and I thought I'm at least as good a man as Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> So, I'm, I'm uh, not surprised because I love watching her rearrange the I'm furniture not, on your show. Oh, God, and that's funny. when she goes about the rug, I had to yeah. write it down, but I thought if anybody can survive the carpet. That's right. <laughs> it's a little heavy. And is, can't we have a stationary table? can we have a table that's... John? Nobody answers can in this business. Can we get a table with, um, that doesn't wobble here? Sure. Right now? Like a, yeah, nail it down. Like a butterfly. Nail it down. Uh, well, that carpet, if anybody can survive that carpet. You can. We're doing well. <laughs> and I personally am going to dye it by tomorrow morning, I can tell you that. <laughs> Gee whiz. Couldn't we um, perhaps uh, spray it a little blue or uh, gray, maybe? Well, or put a rug over it. Put I'll an bring one. An actual carpet. Well, whose idea was that? What color would you like? Well, I'd like no color. Just go into the nothing. Let us be the color. And there's 25 <laughs> minutes of Hepburn on my Hollywood Greats DVD yes. that uh, I've never seen. At the time, they said, you know, we've got two 90-minute shows out of this. We didn't think, I didn't think we were going to get one of any kind uh, until it got so good and realized it was... And, and 25 minutes that they didn't have no place to use and it never really got aired. I still don't know what's on You know what? It felt like watching... Her and Mel Mel Brooks, although even Lucy, uh, even even um, Lucille Ball, they were so alarmed by the commercial breaks, and with with Mel Brooks and Catherine Hepburn, they? they're like, why are the commercial breaks so long? And I thought it was because they're coming from film, and they're not used to cutting unless they say cut. Here's another thing: I've never seen the Lucille Ball show, and people, oh, stop it. a number of people have said, you know, I didn't like her very much on that, and I don't know why. So she had. Adored me. She yeah. told Paley of CBS to put me on instead of Griffin late night. Well, that was a and, smart. That uh, any rational human would have said. She just that. loved me. She really um, loves you. And also, I, I I disagree because certainly as a female in comedy, I loved when you brought up isn't it a pain to talk about women's lib can be a tedious subject now. Oh yeah. And I love because she was like. Show don't tell. Here I am. I'm liberated. I'm I'm running a, a company. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a not enough for you? Yeah. My great friend, the late Pulitzer Prize winning well, wonderful writer, Gene Stafford, uh, whose short stories you must get, the Pulitzer Prize collection. I have turned more people onto Gene Stafford who said, I didn't even know who she was. I can't wait to read uh, Even though she m married uh, Robert Lowell and A.J. Liebling and another At man once? whose name she pretended she couldn't remember most of the time. Gene called one day and said, after a stroke, and alcoholism. I met Betty Friedan last night. And I said, oh, Jean, yeah. um, how'd she look? Do you know what I'm going to say? <laughs> no, it's just funny to ask anyone ask how Betty Friedan I know, I know what made me say that. She looks as if she were pregnant with farm implements. <laughs> easy being a woman who's at best described as handsome. <laughs> I'll tell you an interesting fact. Over the years, half a hundred people have sent me my Life magazine cover to be autographed yes. and sent back. Do you Another send it to the wrong people? have sent me my books. After the first few, I never, ever returned another one. Why? And I never ever had anybody write and say you didn't send it. They're, deal they're autograph dealers. Oh! Dear Miss, uh, the dumbest ones are Dear Mr. and then in pencil Cabot, you are my favorite movie star and I wish you would send me, or at, the, at another extreme, my aunt is dying of pancreatic cancer and you, she was your biggest fan. And I got one of those once and so did a friend of mine. This is amazing, because the rest of us just get Nigerian spam asking for our money. Well, yeah. But they just want your picture. Yeah. In some ways, it's a better I, deal I, I, for you. Do you get these things that say, with the name of a friend of yours yes, on who's it, in, who's I had in a danger. terrible accident? Yes. 
and I need this. If you, if you don't ever even open it, or it gives them access, I was told just the other day. But it's a great moral compass test, because let's say it's an ex or someone you don't like, and they're yeah. in trouble, and your first reaction is, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Can I, can I use that? <laughs> but boy, does that... Uh, and Imus, once, on the air, had a surprise for me. Because he had gone to his bookshelf and found the copy of Cabot I'd signed to him. And no noticed that it had already been signed to somebody else. It's hysterical. No, no. There was a letter in it saying, please send me a copy of your book. And some of that got in with giving the book to Iman. <laughs> he called the guy in Wisconsin, got him on the phone and put me on with him. And the guy admitted to being a book dealer. And I said, is, any, is anybody dumb enough to send these back? He said, we get about 70% return. That's amazing. No single, <laughs> kein einziger Beispiel, how do you say in English, of anyone saying... I sent you at my expense that life make I got so many postage stamps torn off envelopes. Think well and you, you may be able to save the postal system right now if you if you return all of those. Hey. <laughs> the entire US postal service is in your hands. They would have to all be Liechtenstein inverted airmails worth tens of thousands of dollars to save that bloody bunch. So you had Parr, Carson and Woody Allen as your mentors, I feel like in many ways. And friends. Friends and, and, and friends, mentors. Yeah. So yeah. I'm hoping that maybe you could mentor me. Okay. Is that a fair deal? How do we begin? <laughs> well, I think you should call Hollywood and see if we can have a talk show like yours. Where do you live? Are you living in L.A.? Uh, you said you're going back to California. I'm going to California. I live in Brooklyn, which is very fancy, in the park, in the third tree on the left. You live in Brooklyn, <laughs> USA? <laughs> yes. Oh, I thought where you all were, the hipsters live. I thought you were in town. I'm going to Los Angeles for, on Monday. Yeah, but, for, but for, not, not to <laughs> buy a house. I, well, I mean, I'd like to go there to buy, make some money so that at some point I can buy yeah. a house. I'd like to have a talk show like yours, you know. Well, you're good. Well, I appreciate that very much. So if we could pitch something, maybe the two of us co-hosting? I, I think we're probably... Oh, this reference will be too old for you. Not white enough? No, yeah. The new Texan Jinx. There used to be a couple called Tex McCrary and Jinx Falkenberg, a sometime movie actress. It never occurred to me that that might be a Jewish name until this moment. Falkenberg? I, I might have been just pure German. Yeah. If you think of German. It, it as sounds pure. more like someone wanting to be Jewish versus someone who's Jewish trying to get rid of the name. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like yeah. someone, <laughs> someone hoping to fit in. By the way, have you heard Jim Rivers flap right now that some radio show guy called me and wanted my comment or to go on the air to discuss? What, what did she? That's so she funny because I was She did a line in her carpet interview or something like that about. Uh, Oh, what was her name who had most of her boobs showing? I believe Which that's one? what they're called. Which one? Richard Nixon would say. <laughs> um, Your best friend, Richard uh, Nixon. Yeah. And Wh Joan said, she's a German. She's German by... Is she's a model? Actress. I model. don't know. Yeah. I, Any, I, I, anyway, Joan said that's the hottest any German has been since <laughs> they were uh, pushing Jews into the ovens. Well, of course, this got a tremendous reaction from the JDL. Because now they use microwaves. They would never use an oven anymore. Well, that's good. I wish <laughs> I, I'm going to tell her that. If it, and anyway, the roof has come in on her. And to her credit, she has not apologized. And I wrote a piece saying, I'm afraid I'm on Joan's side on this one. The uh, professionally offended league is always telling us subjects that cannot be humor have humor applied. I also like going after someone who says I'm a comedian instead mm -hmm. of going after a dictator or someone who's, you know, in, in charge of something and doing something terrible in our Senate or Congress. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, let's, let's waste time. Aren't there a few things, let, like hoping we don't get another wretched pope? <laughs> right. Um, oh, that job is opening in case the New York Times column, oh, no. <laughs> if you want to segue. <laughs> But I wrote to I wrote on the Joan thing. I, you know, the, the, I was told because I was told once by a Times editor, somebody, a letter I wrote years ago. This is a subject that humor must not be applied to. And the Pope. I wrote back. I didn't know. No, whatever it was, I don't even remember what it was. But I wrote back. I didn't know there were subjects that you couldn't apply humor Absolutely. to. And I know it would nowadays. I would say, well, I know that will come as a surprise to. Uh, 
John Stewart and Stephen Colbert <laughs> and Mort Stahl and Lenny Bruce and Mark Twain and, and William Charles Shakespeare. Chaplin and Jonathan Shakespeare. Swift. And Jonathan Swift. And William Shakespeare. And Bill Shakespeare. Who prefers to go by yeah. Billy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't exactly. understand. Don't flinch, Joan, at the end. I don't know if I use my stick. All right, so my last... Oh, but the main point, as you know already, rather by even saying it, is, of course, let's pause a moment and ask ourselves, at whom is her joke aimed? The Jews who were pushed or the Germans who so eagerly pushed them? Although now, Why today... Why I have to educate people? <laughs> Well, they're no longer as, um, most comedians are not as intellectually astute as you are, and I would think that... that it's okay with me if they're funny. Yes, no, but, but I think that the funniest ones tend to be, and I think that there's a strong correlation. You're old enough to remember Paul Lind on yes. Hollywood Square. Yes, yes. I loved Fred Astaire. When he resigned, and then later danced on my show saying he wouldn't. Unreal. Um, having said he wouldn't famously ever again. I, Paul, I, who is the host of Hollywood Squares? Anyway, this uh, Fred Astaire announced this week that he will never do this again. What is it? Paul Lind. Uh, order hair by mail. <laughs> <laughs> you are so good at anagrams. I love Spiro Agnew. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I can't do them if someone says, do my name. No, but I, I tried to do then your it name. jams. They come up Spiro Agnew. spontaneously. It was uh, either grow a spine or grow a penis. Grow a penis. Both of which are good. But I did you, Richard Cavett. Oh, what? Crave charred tit. What? <laughs> Crave charred tit. Charred tit? <laughs> My God, if you're doing a joke about people in ovens, that's not hurt. I apologize. Crave charge. That's what, is that Richard A. Cabot? Or Richard oh, no. No, if I have the other A to work with, that's a whole different... Well, I'll have to yeah. get back to you with Catch the other Catch it a. a rare VD is oh, that's, Richard A. Cabot. <laughs> that's much much more blue than I was I working. I thought of a great one the other day and immediately forgot it. Which one is that? I can't remember it. I forgot to remember it. Okay, write it down. Remember. What? Just write down remember. I will. I'll write that and, and, let that and put that in my pocket and see if it comes back. Dick Cavett, this has been so much fun. Congratulations on winning the Employee of the Month Award. I know. Who <laughs> did I beat out? That's what I need to know. Well, you're, much more importantly, you are, you are, um, it's you, Gloria Steinem, Rachel Maddow, and Grover, the Muppet, not the president. Are, they, are we all winners of yes. this? Yes. I did a show with the Muppet once and it was traumatic. 90 minutes, because when I came through the stage door, there was the prop table, and they were all lying dead on it. It's very sad to see puppets uh, in, in they had, yeah, resting in peace. Dead. Everybody was dead. Well, I think that's the name of your next book, though. Everybody was dead? Well, no, that's a very morbid <laughs> title, which I think actually has been taken. But, I, but I, I, did a, I did a show with a Muppet once. Oh, you did? <laughs> no, I think that's oh, I the did, name yeah, of your book. Oh, yeah, I should do that. <laughs> Or at least column, but I know you, you have to go. By write the way, in you divide people column. into two groups: the lucky like. people. No, let's put it negatively: the unlucky people, and those who saw Mel Brooks and Dick Cavett together again. I loved, <laughs> I loved seeing seeing you and Mel, and he uh, made fun of you for being a gentile. It's, yeah, it's funny how people say, <laughs> you know, he was your you when you were hosting Mel Brooks. I wasn't hosting Mel Brooks. No. We were there together, and if anything, he was supposed to talk to me about my book, which you glimpsed slightly at the beginning of it, but never see the title. <laughs> but never see it again. That it was, was a the most fun maybe I ever had. Next to this, next yeah, to right golden. now. Golden. Groucho said there will be three or four nights in your career that are so golden, so pure, so infallible, where everything works. I don't know. He may have even known the phrase being in the zone. Groucho and you was hope one of it'll them. Never end. Yes, yes. Nobody wanted to leave. That was two hours long, and it Mel edited it down to one. And there's great stuff in the rest of it. Well, I will encourage that people to see it. The quote I thought you were going to say is, "You can divide the world into two people: those who divide that's Robert into Benchley. two groups, <laughs> and those who don't." That's Benchley, <laughs> who said the this 
discovered that the plays of William Shakespeare were not written by William Shakespeare at all, but by someone else of the same name. <laughs> I love that. Dick Cavett, I adore you. Thank you so, Thank so you. much. Thanks, and I love your studio. <laughs> you should buy it. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. Thank you to my co-host and partner in crime, Lady Lazarus. My dog, she's the best straight man a human could ever have. And you barely even hear her. That's how smart she is. She's so subtle in her humor. Thank you to Ian Mazoff and to Joel Arnold. Thank you to Common Rotation and Arthur Lewis and Shockwave for providing the theme music and to all of you for listening. If you can, please go to our website, employeeofthemonthshow.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at, at Katie Lazarus. Join our Facebook page um, and join the mailing list to find out about live tapings uh, in New York or Los Angeles. And you can always donate. I just want to put that out there. Thanks a lot. <laughs>